Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to this. It is the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. And as always, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Jay Beardmore, but this podcast is at the Rugby Dungeon. Anyway, enough of that because it is the hottest day of the year, apparently, in, in some places. But it might get an awful lot hotter because right now I am joined by Russell Earnshaw. Russell, how are you? I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me. It's pretty warm in Spain. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, um, whereabouts are you? Uh, we're just in Mercia, so I just uh, I just got back here yesterday. I've been away with a couple of days' work, <clears throat> mid-family holiday. And so, uh, yeah, we're just... Uh, now is now is family time of the year, which is exciting. I've been looking forward to this since last September. Excellent. Now let's just paint a little bit of a picture for our, our our listeners. So most people that listen to this podcast are probably the sort of people that watch international rugby. They probably fall into a bit of, uh, a bit of club rugby. So why don't you just tell us about uh, your last role, what um, uh, what you did, and just you know fill in the blanks a bit. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I used to play rugby, I coached a bit, uh, I ended up teaching, uh, then I came back and so for the last three years I've been <clears throat> working with um, with England in the pathway, so just finished up there uh, last week, mm-hmm. uh, so with England 18s predominantly, a little bit of stuff with the 20s, and then supporting coaches really nationally, um, and then yeah, trying to just help help people get better generally. Yeah, now um, you you say that you were supporting people, uh, supporting coaches. That that was an R, an RFU role, yeah, and that was part of what uh, increasing the standard of coaching across across England, basically. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's the next kind of big hurdle we have is actually how can we support coaches, you know, in in the modern age, so to say. So. Spent a lot of time kind of connecting people up, creating little coaching communities, getting around, getting on the pitch with coaches, um, all the way down, you know, from top end guys to some of the guys working in the Prem, down to, you know, your, your Sunday morning dad and helping, yeah, just helping people be as good as they can be, really. I probably have a bit of a focus on following the energy, so would want to work with people that would want to get better. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and ultimately about. Ultimately, with the with the ambition that we ha- we we make players better, which obviously helps Eddie's job and hopefully uh, means we can go win a World Cup next year. Uh, so, okay, let me start with a really basic question. Then, what exactly is meant by a pathway? <laughs> That's a great question. 
Uh, I think different people in our pathway might have some different interpretations of it. Lots of people, I mean, I, I sit in a lot of rooms where people draw a pyramid with very straight lines, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a pathway. Uh, it always gets narrower at the top. Um, it doesn't really reflect the people mm-hmm. that sit within the pathway would be my view. Mm. Uh, and so, it's really, uh, why, why, sorry, go on. No, uh, no, no, sorry, carry on, because you just, you, you just cut out a bit there. Yeah, I mean, why do we exist actually to help, uh, almost add value, so to help support players with high potential and, Clearly, ours is a late maturation sport, so that would be relatively broad to start with. Uh, it would narrow down a little bit as, he, as they get older, but help support the players with the highest potential to be as good as they can be. Now, clearly, there would always be an England rugby team. So whether whether there was England 18s or England 20s, there would always be an England first team and they would play international games. The purpose of the pathway really is to, um, is to help those players explore what's possible. So actually, let's try and take players who are good players and make them into players who could be world-class players. So how can we challenge the Marcus Smiths of this world? How can we make Cameron Redpath a better player? What are the things that we could do both, I guess, on and off the pitch, but ultimately leading to transfer on the pitch to to help those players get better? And clearly, coaching would be a big part of that. Okay, so that's really interesting uh, because I, I have heard the idea before that rugby is a late maturation sport, and I've also heard things from uh, relatively senior coaches in the, in, in the RFU, and I think this might apply more to the lower end of the sport. But it's almost a case of okay, you're seventeen, go away, find another sport, get good at cricket, and then come back to us when um, when you're twenty one. Uh, is, is that something which you guys? Propose so you just get a broader range of life experiences, or you get experience to, experiences to other coaching. I mean, what 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 is the idea behind that? Um, well, I mean, I'm not saying that that's something. I mean, look, we would most of our players would play multiple sports. Mm. I guess the challenge is as you get older, so 17, 18, and you've got exams, and you've got girls, and you've got other things in your life, then it becomes more and more difficult to do multiple sports. However, there be Lots of sports that would be beneficial for all players to play when they're younger. So, you know, some stuff with movement like gymnastics or some stuff with jumping and invasion and an invasion like basketball. Mm. Uh, lots of guys like, Lazowski, you know, look at Alex Lazowski, uh, played football. Sam Moore was in a football academy. Joe Hayes was in a football academy. So, really, lots of skills that would. Uh, transfer from from other sports to our sport. Plus, also, I mean, lots of guys if they they just played rugby from a very early age and played no other sports, then I would be worried that they might get bored of it. I see. So, just moving that on a second, then, as we said before, how would you challenge someone like a Marcus Smith? I mean, that that actually might be more difficult than getting you know the relatively talented guy to you know to the next level. Challenging someone with that m- amount of natural talent must be incredibly difficult. Yeah, I mean, by the way, it isn't natural, but it's it's definitely... Um, Marcus actually wouldn't be someone that you would look at and go, well, look, this guy's got the, the physical prowess to become a... That's a good point, actually. Uh, ...a rugby player, you know, of, of, who's doing what he's currently doing. So, you know, he's a, 
He's just over 80 kilos. He's actually, historically, he was limited by speed. He actually worked super hard on that. Um, so with uh, Hawley at uh, Quinns, they've made great strides on that front. Uh, I would be, you know, if you look at Marx's background, so half Filipino, played a lot of touch games, not had that many structured coaches, uh, played with brothers uh, and dad. And so, you know, lots of stuff where he's played, just lots of games, lots of backyard games have definitely helped him. But, but what you said is exactly true. Actually, the, the reality in, in, in our world is often the best players are having it quite easy. So you're scoring 10 tries a game, you're running over little kids, if mm. you're carrying the ball in one hand, you'll get a lot of affirmation you know, through the through the years, we've had players. I've had to. Uh, I've, there's been a. I won't mention his name, but kid who scored for England 18s now and then heard his dad cheering and saying, "And that's another fifty pounds." So, <laughs> you know, getting even more affirmation for not passing. He should possibly be getting a hundred pounds if he passes to score and two hundred pounds if he kicks to score. Um, yeah. So yeah, clearly people like Marcus. It's actually, to, you know, sometimes it's playing up. It's clearly putting him in an England environment and connecting him up with, with George Ford and Owen Farrell. It's even when you're training, he's wearing a target top and people are getting extra points for getting shots on him. It's telling the people he plays with to give him the wrong information, see if he, see if he can sort it out. Wow. It's telling who he's playing with to not, to not even speak to him. So Mark has actually got to search for more information and players would love doing that. So, uh, only, I, was, I show a video quite a lot of this. Um, we're very fortunate, you know, in the video uh, that um, Johnny Wilkinson's there as well. So Johnny was in one of our camps. And so the other thing is Marx is just going over and talking to Johnny and saying, you know, this is what I'm seeing, this is what I'm thinking. Well, actually, that's quite a challenge for, for a 17-year-old kid. Uh, however, what I, what I love is, so there's a, Ollie Fox who's at Yorkshire Carnegie. He's a great kid. Uh, he's really starting to come alive for Yorkshire at the moment, and and Foxy's just kicking the ball away. He's agitating Marcus. He's and Marcus is getting frustrated, and then, and that would be what a typical session would look like uh, for Marcus, certainly within our environment. That's amazing. Do you know the last thing I would ever have thought of doing to a player, any player, would be depriving them of information. That that has never occurred to me as an option ever. Yeah, another one to think of. So Gabs Ibitaya. So Gabs is um, is a Quinns and obviously played England twenties last couple of years and been in a couple of England camps training. So Gabs would love to, you know, just he's he's quite sp- spiritual leader almost. He he would love playing in the moment. Uh, so we would put him with players that would love structure and organisation. And you know, you also think about how you put your teams together. Yeah. So if you if you put Marcus with players that are quiet and don't give him information, uh, then Marcus might need to sort some stuff out. Uh, we do a lot of work on Marcus on second touches. So he, he used to be pretty good at passing and then observing a very good pass. Uh, we wanted him to think about how could he then get back in the game. Um, we would, he'd have challenges around making line breaks off second receiver because it's really easy. He's really good at doing it off first. So mm. let's get him to playing wider and in slightly different situations and see if we can solve those problems. Uh, and the beauty for us is, you know, you get a chance to explore those options up until 18. I'm not stupid. I realise that when you go to a premiership club, you'll be, you'll be a little bit more, your decision-making will be slightly more constrained because 
of the of the more significant consequences of losing a game. Yes, quite. So, where do some of these concepts come from? Uh, I mean, for instance, you know, you seem to be challenging these young men in a range of ways. Unless you're the most original thinker that uh, that I've ever encountered. Uh, are, you, are, are you taking these from other sports? I mean, where, where does it all originate from? Uh, no, not really. I mean, and, and I was never coached like this. I was spent a lot of time in teams, uh, being coached to win games as opposed to individual development. Mm. Um, yeah, look, I, I mean, and we and we would do it with our staff as well. So one night, sat at home and thought, right, I'm going to make challenge cards for our staff. And so, for example, John Fletcher would have to go and uh, spend time with the three players that were least like him. Dave, <laughs> Dave, the physio, would have to only be allowed to have lunch with the players that are fit because he spends way too much time with the players that run fit. Uh, Peter Walton would have to run a, a, a have a line-out meeting, but it would have to be run by a pack. So just setting. Coaches different challenges, chew the fat on it later. I mean, that would be a big focus for us. Where one of the th- one of the things we started creating is challenge cards, which were we're going to s- start uh, putting to market next week. But creating individual challenges for players where they have an outcome, and we allow them to fill in the blanks. Now, have I seen so, you talk about your challenge cards on Twitter by any chance? Yeah, have I seen? Moment, t- it was pretty uh, epic, like over. 100,000 views on it uh, pretty quickly. So, yeah, and it would be. I mean, it, it's just to support coaches, really. So another good example would be Ben Loder. So Ben, uh, playing at London Irish, played in the 20s, um, really good at defending because of his pace. So we'll push people to an edge, actually missing opportunities to maybe go and get the ball back in different ways. So I would set Ben a challenge of, Ben, if you get five intercepts in training today, then... The coaches will do 100 press-ups. <laughs> and, and, and pretty quickly, Ben's got two or three. Then, actually, we tell the whole group. So we tell everyone that, that ben, what Ben's trying to do, and suddenly it's a harder problem. And we say, and by the way, if Ben gets five, all of the players are doing 100 press-ups as well as the coaches. So we've gone from a situation where Ben's the only one that knows what he's trying to achieve to actually now the, the attack knows, so it's going to be harder for Ben. So, yeah, we would just play around with a lot of stuff like that. I mean, I would... Um, I was never coached like this. It's definitely something we've kind of added to our armory over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's, I guess it's just having some good ideas around, you know, different challenges for coaches, for players. Uh, the cards we've put together actually include some environmental ones as well. So I think environment's super important. So they might, uh, one of the cards might be, I'm trying to remember exactly, might be, you know, engage, engage with three parents today. So actually oh, okay. Actually, how you interact, and we're not saying go and do this with three parents. We're going look, engage with three parents. So that might be that you actually say, oh, you know, well, would you mind just keeping an eye on how many good decisions the kids make and you know keep score for me or something like that. Brilliant. So, um, and now obviously this is the mischief make, maker in me. But have you ever set one of these challenges which is substantially backfired? Um, I've learned some lessons. Okay. Um, so, for example, I've definitely given up the coaches um, at a time when I probably should have given them a bit more breathing space. Mm. So I've given challenges to coaches who I probably should have given those challenges to the coach a week before as yeah. opposed to 10 minutes before. So probably my main learning has been um, around, you know, timing of delivery. When's the right time to do it? Mm. Um, in terms of, no, I just think because the challenges are so open, actually, and because it allows you to, to fill in the blanks yourself and actually 
uh, be creative, then it's it's completely open to interpretation. So um, no, it's been it's and actually the feedback we get from from kids and coaches is yeah we love it we love the individual nature of of how you're coaching us because often it's it's just not that. Yeah. Um, now, we have spoken a lot about individuals. Are there any things that you find universally helpful? So if, I, if I'm a coach and I was looking to pick up a couple of good tips now about my, you know, my coaching in, say, level eight. Oh, I don't know, Didsbury Talk H, like, like I am now. I mean, what would, what would be your immediate go-to? Um, the other thing to think about as well is doing them in pairs. So you might go, right, um, Marcus Smith, you're, you're connected up with Ollie Fox and you're going to compete against Cameron Redpath and Will Porter. And whichever sets of nine and tens can make the most line breaks in the next 20, 20 minutes win the game. So once again, we can, we can build connections through this. Oh, okay. in, in, in response to your question, what would I be thinking? We play the carpet game a lot at Augustolians under-14. So if... Um, if, for example, JP, you were carrying the ball in one hand as an attacker and three defenders, so me and two others, shouted out, your, uh, shouted out carpet, then it would be a turnover. So when you're carrying the ball in one hand and it's uh, reducing your, your ability to make decisions, then uh, you'd be, there'd be a consequence to that, but only if we spotted it, because actually it's also a good cue for us to look for. So if we're looking for players who've got the ball in one hand, unless you're Sonny Bill and you have that, you're using it to deceive, and of course, uh, if you were to, you know, if I was coaching and I said turnover, you would, of course, have the ability to put your hand up and go, Rusty, you're wrong. I was putting it in one hand, so they thought I had it in one hand, and then I was going to do a, you know, a, a different type of pass. So that would be one that we, I would use a lot. Uh, another one that I think is useful is uh, if you catch the ball standing still, it's mm. a turnover, or maybe if two players on the bounce catch the ball standing still because players need to better understand depth. And off the ball work. So Owen Farrell spends 92% of the game off the ball. He's the player that spends the most amount of time on the ball. So everyone else spends more than 92%. So that's a good way of coaching off the ball uh, is actually to look at that. Uh, another one I've seen coaches do that I quite like is actually because there's a tendency to not be deep and then as a result run across the pitch, then maybe if two players on the bounce run across the pitch, uh, with the ball, then that's a, that's a turnover. And of course, once again, I'm open to people putting their hand up and going, "Sorry, Rusty, you're wrong. We were running across the pitch because of this." And I'll go, "Okay, that's cool." In the same way that someone might stand still to catch the ball, and they might say, "Well, we're just putting the defence onto me, and I was going to kick the ball over the top of them." So yeah. it's not black or white, but I think generally you might want to be going relatively quickly when you get the ball. It makes it harder for defences. And you wouldn't want everyone in your team running across the pitch because it would it would prevent the people who are supporting space from getting the ball. One of the things that I, that I really liked there was um, the idea of getting the players to call out the opposition's mistakes because there, you know, there are certain things that I use as a coach at the low level that I'm at, which is basically turning the ball over, you know, a consequence for doing something wrong. But actually what I like is it's almost like the decentralisation or the empowerment of the opposition team to, to spot it for me. In fact, it's actually... Take... Decentralisation, I'm loving your language. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, so I would be thinking about what cues do I, what cues do I want players to, to observe. So in defence, there's a lot of system-based stuff. So I was chatting to a kid who said, you know, we go 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 from the ruck. 
And I said, well, what does 40 do? And he said, well, stands between 30 and 50. Well, that's ridiculous. So you're basically looking at left and right as opposed to in front of you. Defenders should be looking for, you know, are, are they deep? Are they looking to kick? Where have their eyes looked? Have they got the ball in one or two hands? Where are the support players? All that type of stuff, as opposed to going 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, put my hand up. Actually, the time it takes you to do that, you've missed lots of vital cues. Yeah. It's interesting, that, because do you not think that you're in danger of almost overloading them with lots of information which you don't know how to interpret? I want to make them the best players in the world. I want them to be able to... Yeah, and of course, you might need to scaffold that process. Mm. This isn't going to happen in a day. Yeah. Uh, However, in order to win multiple World Cups, we need players that can solve problems. Yeah. And that's the reality. I mean, another one that I would do a lot of that I would recommend as well for you guys is just partnering players up. So whenever you're playing games, so JB, I'll be with you. You you might say to me, Rusty, I'm actually working on my left foot kicking because it's not that strong in this game. And I might say, look, JB, I'm, I'm really right foot dominant on my step. Keep an eye out, see if I can beat any people with my left foot. And then we just give feedback to each other. So two things, really. One is we get a bit of individual focus. Actually, three things. Second thing is people are, are in charge of it themselves as opposed to me as a coach. It's mm-hmm. often quite hard to observe, you know, 20, 30 players in a session. And third thing, actually, they just get used to giving feedback to each other. So quite hard for teenage boys. A lot of the teenage boys that I coach would find it pretty – they'd be pretty comfortable ridiculing their teammates because that's <laughs> yeah. what teenage boys do. Yeah. However, actually, to give them some real – you know, look, I noticed you did this and it was pretty cool. That's uh, that's important. One of the things we're looking a lot at is kind of the dynamics of power. So I went into a senior club the other day and actually realised pretty quickly there's two or three guys who think they're alpha males. And so I need to come up with a, a solution for this pretty quickly. In, in our world, uh, with with some of the kids, then um, actually they're – I think of it like this. One of the reasons they – Kids smokers, they don't. It's more dangerous to be outside of the outside of your tribe than it is to smoke. So you want to be accepted by the group. So mm-hmm. actually, this kind of feedback, noticing each other, talking about the good stuff people are doing, is is generally quite a good thing to do with young boys. Yeah. Um, and clearly, that's not pink and fluffy. They're not. They're also going. Look, I noticed you did this. Have you thought about doing it this way? I think you could have done this better. I'm not sure that you're working as hard as you could. So all this type of stuff that, that's going to be really important for them in if they're going to be good rugby players, but possibly if they're going to be really good people, um, then why not develop it on the rugby pitch? Yeah, yeah, I've, that's, that's certainly an angle which I've never, I've never actually considered. Uh, what about, what about? the mixture of abilities within players. Now, I assume, you know, where you are, you're getting basically the cream of the crop of of, of the English age, age grade, so not quite as, as applicable. But certainly, you know, when you're coaching at a lower level, you do naturally get a separation of the good players who tend to stick together and the bad players. Now, do you think it's worth keeping players of similar skill sets together to improve, or do you think it's almost like an osmosis process? If you put a good player with a bad player they sort of, you know, that that player will get more from them? Uh, look, I think it's it's multiple experiences for people. The evidence in classroom would suggest that I think it's apart from maths that mixed ability sets perform better. And the reason is that 
um, the kids that are that are. If you want to stretch kids, you get them to support the kids that need a bit of support. So they essentially become teachers. So whenever you ask coaches, you know, put your hand up if you'd have been a better player. If you knew then what you know now as a coach, everyone puts their hand up. And so we ideally would want to get our best players or our best students to think like coaches or to think like teachers. Mm -hmm. um, we will want them to better understand learning. Now, clearly, one of the aspects of rugby that challenges this is is the contact element as well. So, however, I just see a, a, there's a pitch and there's people on it, but they're all kind of playing different games. Mm. So, little Jack Potter, who was uh, very proudly um, Girl of Steel for this season, voted by his mates uh, 18 months ago, was, you know, he played a game where Jack got the ball, he could run 10 metres without being touched. Yeah. He's actually new to the sport. Uh, little Noah is getting extra points if he can get involved in any way in a tackle because actually he's new to the sport <clears throat> he's not physically that big and so let's just get him used to contact you might be playing a game where there's two big kids on both teams and everyone else is playing touch and the big kids attacking each other so I just think we can be more creative with our rules how we play the game individual challenges so that learning's maximised for everyone so if you were teaching a lesson you mm -hmm. wouldn't just keep going nine times ten nine times ten, nine times ten. And if the kids know it, you would challenge them. If they don't know it, you would support them. And, you know, in the classroom we'd call it differentiation. And rugby, I, I don't really care what we call it. However, we should be giving the best experience, the best learning experience possible to every kid, in my opinion. How do you make sure that a kid or any player is aware of the good things that they do? I.e., are they doing good things without being aware that they're doing good things. They're just naturally good, if that makes sense. How would you do it? I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean I'm mean, i just thinking now, you know, you talk about having your best players, um, you, your, your best players spreading knowledge and always being like a coach. But what if they're just good and they don't realise why, why they're good and they don't really, you know, they're not really the sociable type? Yeah, it's interesting. So... Um... I was, did a hockey talk on Tuesday night and it was with one of the girls who plays for England was there. And I said to her, um, uh, what's your super strength? And she said, oh, it's uh, scoring goals. And I said, oh, why is that? <laughs> she said, well, I'm just not that like other people. I just don't mind if I miss. I'm, and, I'm, and, I, and I just love scoring. And I said, why do you think that is? She said, because I played tennis. And in tennis, you, you miss a lot of shots. Actually, you've got to be able to be resilient and get back in the moment and shoot again. I thought I would definitely be getting more uh, hockey players to play tennis. I would just get curious about why, and maybe they don't know why. So maybe you just need to explore that. So with Marcus, it's pretty obvious. With someone like Will Capon, you know, played in the garden with his family, had a, uh, a wheelbarrow that they got extra points for kicking the ball in. Um, so, you know, Will's pretty good at kicking for a front row forward. Um, yeah, I would just get curious as to why. I mean, how would I reinforce it um, well the other thing I, I think coaches need to better understand is <clears throat> is actually their noticing skills so you'd probably spend if you're a good good you know if you're coaching well I'd imagine you spend 60 70 percent of your time noticing stuff so that you can you can actually make decisions so you can actually set challenges uh, but then also to get the players good at that and I, my preference is to use the better players either as you said to to coach others, so I might say, look, Marcus, you're going to give an information. Your challenge in this session is to make 
three other players really good at making giving information, mm-hmm. uh, or I would use them to boost the confidence of other people. So I might say to her, as I was just over in America and uh, asked one of the, the the girls who was one of the better players, you know, who have you noticed uh, getting better? And she pointed out Frankie, a young girl, and who was who only been playing rugby a month, and you could visibly see Frankie get taller and actually go, oh, wow, you know. So actually I would, and of course I have biases, which I'm hopefully relatively aware of. And one of my biases is I tend to focus on what people can do and what their strengths are. Yeah. Uh, the downside of that is I, I often block out some of the stuff that's not so good. I mean, I would generally be trying to look for themes. So if someone's repeatedly can't pass off their left hand, then we might need to, you know, solve that problem. Uh, I'm less bothered if it happens once. Um, I'm hoping that actually they're, you know, thinking about it and learning from that experience. And that, in my job, I guess, as a coach is then to go, look, they've done it once. Let's see how they react to that. Let's see what they do about it. Because uh, clearly we would want them to solve the problems in the first place. Uh, I think my other my other piece of advice to you, you would be, and you know, we were chatting about coaching, I would never, I, I would set you the challenge of players speak first in every single huddle. Uh, and I would possibly set the challenge of just doing no more huddles. So actually just, if you're going to have a huddle, make it feel like the game. So if someone's having a kick at goal, we're all stood in the line about to chase it, you can talk then. Uh, someone's kicking to the corner, you can talk on the way there. Let's make it like the game, as opposed to, Let's have a huddle led by a coach where we solve a problem after the event. Um, my preference would be to coach on the fly or maybe use freeze a bit more. So freeze, yeah. you know, what type, yeah. what type of stuff have you noticed? And I would use replays a lot as well. So I would go, you know, look, if someone, let's, you know, let's take a simple one. Someone has a two-on-one with the fullback and they don't score. Cool. Everyone back in your positions. We're going to replay it in five, four, three, two, one. However, I would also do that when they do it well. So, you know, we're, we're playing a, a scenario in training. You're going to get a drop goal to win the game. Someone gets a drop goal. Cool, let's go back to the rook on the side. We're going to replay it and let's even get the drop goal again. So let's, you know, let's not just do it when stuff goes wrong. Let's celebrate when stuff goes well. Or maybe let's go, okay, you've got a, someone else has got to get a drop goal. Or you've got to get a drop goal through the foot. Or <laughs> you've, got, you've got to score in a different way. So, um, yeah, I mean, they, they would be, uh, kind of coaching house skills I would use a lot would be freezes and replays quite a lot. Now, I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say next, which is it's all relatively individual. But have you noticed anything about rates rates of learning, uh, <clears throat> i.e. what is the appropriate amount of information to try and impart onto a squad du- du- during a session? Do, do, do you think about that, as in how much they, how much you can actually get out of them without burning them out, I guess. Yeah, I do. And I, I met a guy the other day. Well, sorry, I had a Skype the other day with a guy called Javid Farahani. And he's working in football. He's working also in business. And this is exactly what he's looking at. So he's a, I think he's UCL with Vim Walsh. Uh, and he's a uh, neuroscientist. He would know much more about this than me. Um, he's been looking at, you know, people's learning and forgetting curves. So if I could recommend a video... For people to watch, it would be Robert Bjork's 
uh, how we learn versus how we think we learn. It's a really good video it's on YouTube. Uh, and so what uh, Javid is doing is exactly that. He's looking at individuals. He's looking at their kind of cognitive capacity. <clears throat> he's looking at what impacts on their learning. So they might identify a player and go, look, this player needs a couple of bullet points in the moment. This player actually stories bring it to life for this person. Um, and clearly, um, yeah, that, that's another frontier we've yet to, you know, we, um, I think we, people would be quite happy saying that we've still got a hell of a lot to learn about the brain. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think people like uh, Vim Walsh and Javid are, are actually pushing the boundaries and starting to better understand this. I would say exactly what you said. It's individual. I would try. I would try and notice. I would look at my language around certain players. Some I could be a bit more free with, and I would talk about framework and principles. Some I might need to adapt and talk about structure and give them a bit more, a bit more explicit information. Um, yeah, I mean it's. Uh, and once again, you know, how do you like feedback? Which coaches have got the best out of you? Why do you think that is? Which coaches have you know you not responded to? Why is that? What's your favourite lesson? Why that type of thing? So I'm always trying to be curious about players and what's the type of stuff that's helping support their learning and what might be, you know, preventing it. Yeah, that's interesting. So what about the role of competition within learning? Because it's very individual. And right at the start, you said I've been coached in rugby teams to win. Uh, how do you how do you leverage competition then? When actually, maybe that isn't the you know the main focus of the session to win the session. It it's to improve. But you know, on the other hand, competition is very important. Yeah, no, I'm you know, I'm, and, and, and as the reality is, all of our best players would be really competitive. Yeah. So um, yeah, look, they clearly would need some time to in our world to have some exploration and try stuff and find out. You know, can I kick off my left foot? Can I do this? Is this possible? At the same time, you know, you would you might also look at parts of the session where it's you know you you know let's play stone scissors paper. Whichever team loses stone scissors paper is going to start twelve points down, and we're going to play a three minute game, and you're going to start with someone in the sim bin. Yeah. Actually, let's huh. put them in let's put them in context. Let's put them in some scenarios, and let's see if they can they can apply the stuff they've been learning. Um, yeah, that would be, you know, the, the session I did the other day with the alpha males actually ended up with the alpha males. I set them challenges, which they and they got some success from. I then started reducing the players on their team. So at one stage, I think they were playing eight against 12 and holding their own and being, you know, full on alpha. Uh, I also adapted my language. I swore more. I didn't swear. But I thought that they appeared to be enjoying me swearing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Yeah. Even though I'm not particularly enjoying it. Uh, so yeah, we would, you know, and you know, and matches would clearly be an opportunity to, to, to do that as well. Because ultimately, learning is about putting it on the pitch in a game. So it's all well and good as saying, oh, you know, he did this, passed off his right hand five times, brilliantly in training. Well, actually, let's see if he looks like that in the context of the game. I, um, I had a good, yeah. I mean, we had a kid who we uh, in one of the Easter games missed a couple of five on two overlaps and. Um, and, and, and I just he hadn't even noticed them and after the game we kind of chatted him through and he just said yeah but I would um, I would uh, I would throw that in training I just wouldn't throw it in a game so that's actually pretty good feedback for us in terms of how, 
we need to make training feel even more like the game than we currently do. Yeah. Actually, when you explore this guy's background, he's an early developer, carries the ball in one hand, plays in the forwards, so all the expectations that come with being a forward in the Northern Hemisphere, um, plays in a school team that are relatively unbeaten for three years, uh, plays for a coach that stands on the sideline and chats at him and tells him what to do. So I'm not that surprised he didn't give those two passes in the game. And clearly our job is to unpick why um, as early as possible. So that would be obviously one of the reasons we would want to influence coaching is because the majority of kids' times is in the clubs and the schools. And we could be getting kids at 16, 17, 18 who've already picked up some some stuff that you want to think differently about or change. So, um, yeah, clearly competition is a, is a big part of, of, of their development. Look, everything you've said so far, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, bloody hell, this is absolutely brilliant. And then something just sort of clicked then, which is everything you're saying is really, really positive. How do you, how do you deal with, with, ne- with negativity and naturally negative people? Uh, yeah, I would look out for the word but a lot. I really like this, Rusty, but. Um, yeah, it's a challenge, and, and my preference is to follow the energy. We've clearly had quite a few coaches in recent years where we've had to go away and influence them and spend time with them and get into their context. Um, a really good example would be at uh, I did a CPD at Gloucester, and one of the coaches said, yeah, but that wouldn't work in my club. Cool, let's do the next CPD in your club with your age group. So... <laughs> getting into context, getting on the pitch, showing them it works, getting feedback from kids. So what bits of advice would you give to coaches? The usual things come up, make it fun, make it... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Game like challenges individually, care for us. Um, that's powerful. Use people, you know, use some of our best players to influence. Uh, but you're not going to win all of them. I would have... Coaches that I would come across, and you know, they're, what they're doing would be not far off bullying. And you know, in the end, you have to go and raise it to slightly higher levels and have some people come in and observe them. And yeah, that's that's unfortunate, really. I mean, they're just kids, yeah. So, most of the you know, 16, 17 year olds, they're just kids. Um, I think we we can lose sight of that very easily. Uh, yes. The camp I did in America is probably the, be- the best example of it. So, just in four days in uh, in Boston, I think we're going to do a similar one in Washington in January. 
And uh, you just get on the pitch with people for four days. And mm. they come expecting. So their feedback's always the same. Ah, oh, we thought we were going to get X's and O's and we thought you we were going to give us lots of drills. But actually, it's been much different to that. We've loved it. But the reality is we're on the pitch and we're living together and we're having informal chats and it's for four full days. So what might take a season with another coach is really compressed and in four days. And because of the, the kids we're coaching there are the whole range, you know, and, and some of them have a large number of, have barely played the game. Um, it's actually really awesome to, to see stuff working really quickly. Um, the other thing that happened is actually we, uh, one of the days, some of the coaches coached in a, in a, in a way different to how I would coach. So they coached defense and they coached the kind of guard, bodyguard, whatever the language is. Yeah. So it was really good for us as coaches to observe this way of coaching and the impact of it. And clearly the impact of calling guard, bodyguard, whatever is, is that people just look left and right and they focus on the ball as opposed to, I just said, look, well, we're going to give you points for every good piece of information you give from when you leave the line going towards the attack. So as you're running upwards, you get a point every time you say something and someone else does it. So if I was, if I was inside you, JB, and I said, JB, JB, I'm inside you, push right, <clears throat> I'd get a point for that. So we scored that instead of scoring you know, guard or whatever people want to call it. Right, um, OK. So at this point now... Uh, I, this this is almost the this is almost the point that you start writing me an invoice or I yeah to uh, <laughs> to sort of try for this ice. So uh, I I love coaching defence and as you're saying that my heart's breaking because I'm thinking bloody hell I'm teaching them guard bodyguard get off the line square and connected that sort that sort of chat. But actually you know to take your point. Um, you know, to improve that improve that drill I'm thinking of the uh, the old pig, pigs in the pen drill. Instead of having a line of like four, four defenders, maybe have a line of four defenders with four behind them, and then they, and then they will take note of the good information given by the player that they're asked to look after. Yeah, well, or even better, why don't you put them the other side of the defenders so they can see where the defenders are looking and actually see their mouths? And because my other observation is, you know, rule rule one of defence club is that the defence coach has to stand behind the defence. It's actually possibly the worst place to stand. If I can pick in front of or behind, if I was only constrained to one, I would pick in front of. Really? Because I can see where they're well, I can see where they're seeing. It's it's the most important thing, isn't it? Where the defenders are looking. If they can't get any information, how can they make good decisions? I see. Yeah, yeah. I mean it makes However, it makes ninety nine point nine percent of defence coaches I watch stand behind the defence. They would typically make it really easy for the defence, so there'd be more defenders than attackers. They'd slow the rook down. They'd, you know, whereas I'd be thinking, I can spend more time with the attack, so I'm going to go at the attack right. I want to see if you can kick to score here. I want to see how good this defence is. Uh, and then I'd just look to see if, if the defence solves the problem. So the best defence coaches, it sounds a bit weird, will be spending a lot of time with the attack and vice versa. So if you're an attack coach, you'd be saying to the defence, right, you know, get tight. See if they notice the spaces on the inside. Yeah, yeah, so, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, yes. it, it still it still feels very counterintuitive to me because I am exactly one of those coaches. I stand behind the defensive line, so I so I can <laughs> so I can sneak up on them and shout at them when when they're not expecting it. Yeah, and, and defense coaches don't want their defense to be broken. I'm thinking, well, if it gets broken, we we have an opportunity to learn something. If it doesn't, so and clearly, I don't want it broken all the time. And 
you would want a certain, certainly the younger the kid especially, would want a certain amount of affirmation. Mm. Uh, the mighty old Bristolians under 14s have no structure and they seem to do all right. They seem to work around and adapt to each other and talk. And um, Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, lots of stuff. So Phil Larder came up with guard and all that stuff however many years ago and people are still replicating it. I mean, yeah. uh, have a look at the All Blacks. So watch how they defend. Actually, the only person who puts his hand up, bizarrely, is Kieran Reid. I think he almost has a tick. But everyone yeah. else is looking in front of them. There's a really good spider cam I've got of the World Cup final. They don't really swap in and out, so forwards are pretty comfortable defending wider. They just stand a bit closer to each other if it's if they think that that's what's necessary. They'll stand wider if they feel that the person outside or inside them is a good defender. So I think that'd be the kind of stuff I might be thinking about with defence. Actually, you know, maybe just shout out to me how wide you know what. How wide do you feel you can stand in this space? You know, why? What type of stuff have you noticed? Let's build up, you know, uh, awareness of why we stand where we stand. Yeah. Um, the thing I say to defence coaches that sometimes is an epiphany moment is defence isn't about where you start. It's about where you end up. So, actually, if you get man and ball, that's a pretty good outcome. Yeah. So, you might want to think about where you stand to get man and ball. So once again, lots of defence coaches saying you have to stand inside. Well, the reality is, if I stand outside you, JB, and your first receiver, I would imagine your first couple of steps will be across the pitch. Most people's are. Yeah. By which time you've run straight into me, as opposed to me standing inside you, you take a couple of steps, and I'm already chasing you, and I'm not going to get a reasonable shot on you. Yeah. So I would think about defences where you end up. Uh, we'd be coaching lots of stuff, you know, be getting points for ripping the ball, holding people up, you know, five points for getting interceptions, points for charging kicks down, points for pushing people into touch. And we would score it like that in games. So the best way to get transferred to games is when you're playing your pre-season games, just go, look, here's our scoring system. It's not tries. Every time we make a line break, we get two points. Mm. Every time we, we make a defender fall over, we get two points. Every time we get an intercept, we get, you know, and just have a different have a different scoring system to the one that is just kicks and tries. Now, mm, now so that was just said then, uh, and I'm sort of trying very hard to square this circle, I guess, is there's a lot of individuality involved here. Um, you know, you've got to think for yourself, you've got to make good, good decisions, and that all stacks up. But at some point, you've got to, as a team, got to make the same decision. How do you make sure that the team is basically on the same page? Because two players could see, especially in defence, see two things which are completely legitimate, but because they do two completely different things, the out- the outcome will be pretty poor. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. So once again, it's about how they share information. Mm. Yeah, but they, they might. You, you're 100 percent right. They might see completely different pictures, um, and we would want them to. To make you know collective decisions, so clearly the um, the stuff around um, intercepts isn't gonna um, isn't just gonna be one person aware that you get extra points for intercepts. It's it's the whole team. Yeah. So um, yeah, and look, and we would and we might need to and they might need to come up with some language to support that. So they might go, do you know what? If we see this picture and we don't think there's an interception on, then we're gonna we're going to call cold or whatever it is. And I'm, yeah. My preference once again would be for them to come up with the language. I've, I've definitely done it where I've come up with language and 
It's not their language. Yeah, they've got to so, lead it. You know, the reason the carpet games works is that the kids came up with the name carpet. As about us about the name. Yeah, that I mean that that would be my my advice there as well. And clearly, you've got to have some form of shared language that helps you with decision making as a team, mm-hmm. and you know, and some stuff defensively would help. I mean, my challenge is always so. What does God do? So, in your world, what does God do? If someone puts hand up and shouts, "God," what what's their role or their function? Now, interestingly, it's very very strict. You simply don't move until the ball has left that scrum. That scrum half's oh, hand. So, That's it. So let's say there was a ruck on the five meter line. So if you can imagine it, yeah, yeah. And there was a, an attacker in the five meter line, and there was no defenders. And you had one guy at guard, and the nine was about to pick and go blind. Would the guard move to the blind side? You would hope so, wouldn't you? No. Oh, however, not under your strict. Yeah, not under. Yes, uh, exactly. Not under my so central it, command and control. Yeah, and I think the reality is that it's never black and white. Yeah. So we. we as coaches, I think we need to be careful with language. So I've definitely seen players who've been given your instructions not move. <laughs> yes. Um, I've definitely seen lots of players with very low numbers run to rucks, put their hand up, breathe a sigh of relief, shout guard, and and move on to the next ruck. Um, interestingly, when you speak to some of the best nines, I spoke a bit to Danny Kerr about this and Ben Youngs, how easy is it to make line breaks around rucks? Well, the proof's in the pudding. Both of them make line breaks for fun around rucks. Because actually, those people aren't that good a defender. So what I so the, it took me ages to think of this question, I, but I was laid in a hotel in a, one night in the bath, and I was and uh, been having this agitation when I first started doing this with the 18s, where I said, "Look, we're not going to put labels on stuff," and they were struggling because they'd been used to it. So I said to um, uh, I said to Marcus Street, "If you couldn't say guard, what would you say?" And, of course, he went, oh, one, no, 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 you can't put a label on it. What would you say? He said, oh, I would say, oh, I've got the scrum half, come tighter, all that type of stuff. Well, which would you prefer? Yeah. You would definitely prefer someone to be going, come tighter, come tighter, I've got nine, push out. You've got a first receiver as opposed to guard, A, whatever whatever label we as coaches have decided to put on it based upon what Phil Larder did 20 years ago. Yeah, that's that's quite interesting. Yeah, because not only are you replicating what you're doing anyway, you're you're actually giving information automatically. Yeah. So so anyway, so that so and then we put mics in a couple of players uh, like Marcus when we took away the labelling and and the amount of information they gave on the pitch, partly because they were just really scared about being in space defending, uh, was significantly better and they were more effective defenders. I mean, that would be pretty typical for us anyway because lots of fellas with low numbers are used to going and standing next to a rook and shouting guard. Then in our training, they wouldn't be allowed within two or three of a tackle. They actually need to go and get used to defending wider because if we lose a World Cup because, you know, someone gets picked off and he's he's got a low number and we haven't haven't attended to to that skill, defending in space, then that would be pretty remiss of us. Yeah. That's interesting. So, do you ever do you ever find because everything you spoke about so far is sort of you know you unstructure it, see what see what happens, then you communicate, and it, it's it's a different way of think, thinking about it. But do you ever find that you create freedom for players to be creative by giving them a structure? Yeah, no. Look, and 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 we could argue over what you mean by structure or framework or system yes, frame, or all those yeah, all that sort words. Of 
Um, I would, you know, and I, I would be, I would be mindful of what they understand when you say those words as well. Um, yeah, look, of course they would. So here's here's an example. So um, Marcus Smith likes to have a support player inside him. That's that for me is is structure or a framework, or because it actually allows him to fix defenders inside him. It allows him to make create space for himself. Allows him to to fix and then play wide. Um, it might be that um, you know if uh, Jamie Roberts is playing. 12 for someone, then the you know the, the support players are more likely to go in on the ball because he actually doesn't offload that much. Whatever the, so I would base it around a framework or a structure, generally around the strengths of the individuals within it. Mm. However, I would also be mindful that in certain areas of the pitch, you're more likely to see certain things. So, for example, if you are in your own 22, probably the best place on the pitch to attack. So the defence are less excited. They've probably got at least three in the backfield. So, you know, there's 12 in the line. Uh, and um, there's space in the backfield to kick to. So there's lots of opportunities to go forward. So I would be, in my world, I would be going, well, look, here's an opportunity where we can play. Um, other people might think differently. They might talk about risk. In the opposition 22, it's a completely different picture. So there's often 14 in the line, sometimes 13, depending on what kind of how teams are defending. And the defence is more agitated and excited. So you actually got to think differently about how you play the game. And actually, little grubbers through might work, or actually playing a bit tighter and just, you know, just going forward and taking some yards and building momentum like Exeter do in the opposition 22. Yes. If you've got the players, if you've got the players to do that. Well, then that might be a good solution to that. Yeah, no. I think the best, so, the best teams in the world see these pictures and can and can make good decisions. So the All Blacks would do bits of everything. If there was lots of people in the backfield, they'd run. If there was lots of people in the front field, they'd kick. Mm. You, can I just move this on a, a little bit to the set piece? Because one of the best coaches that that I've had. I won't embarrass him by naming him. In fact, I might do actually. Um, basically, oh, name him. Oh, um, uh, uh, Jason Duffy. Um, yeah, he... no, Duff's legend. Oh, do, do you know Duff's? Yeah, yeah, I'd be pleased with that shout out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, very, 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 very good coach. Very good friend of mine. But he basically, when he first showed up, ignored the set piece, and this was an absolute mystery to me because that's all we've been. Really, coach to do is you do your set piece, and then the backs run, back, back, um, and then the backs run their moves. How important do you see the set piece to to to, to modern game and pers- personal development, or is it kind of you know, it's just a method to get the ball back in play? Um, no, look, it's clearly important. You can it, it's 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 changed slightly. So there was probably a few years ago when if you had a scrum, you were pretty guaranteed to win a game. Mm. Um, that's not necessarily the case now, but it clearly helps. Uh, yeah, look, there's been some trends in the set piece. It's it's quicker. Lineouts are quicker. Uh, they are scrums are teams are scrummaging less for penalties, uh, obviously because of the you know the new uh, law kind of interpretations. Often the scrums collapsed and the refs are suggesting that they play the ball. Um, what I, where I feel like. Uh, it's misunderstood is and, and often because it's practiced in isolation so forwards go over there backs go over there is actually the connection between the two so 
How do we use the scrum to go forward and score tries? So how do we use a line-out to go forward and score tries? Or how do we use the scrum to get the ball back? Um, I think we need to understand the function of it. So the backs, it's useful for them to be able to understand that if we do this on a scrum, it, it allows us to do this. Um, interestingly, um, you know, speaking to, um, you know, ask Nick Evans, how many how many separate, how many forwards meetings have you been in in your career? And it's, and it wasn't, it was less than one. Um, and, you know, clearly where a fly half stands would depend upon where you win the ball in the line out and your ability to do that. And I remember asking um, Ollie Morgan about how many times he'd been in the forwards meetings. He said once. I said, did you learn much? He said, yeah, I learned loads. I said, did you go in again? He said, no, the forwards wouldn't let me. Good, um, good. <laughs> there's, that, there's that kind of... I just think we can better connect the two up. Yeah, be my view, and of course it's part of the game. It's a big part of the game, and see, you know, then of course it needs to be coached well. See, I don't um, even the difference. Sorry. Probably, as I say, the difference in the All Blacks and the rest of the world is they're just better connected around their set piece and what they do off it, and they would have lots of uh, exciting moves to score that we will probably copy six months down the line. And you know, we need to be the one that are, the ones that are innovating around this area of the game. I think. Yeah, that's a that's a good point you mentioned there. I mean, how would you rate England's performance at, I don't want to say replicating, because you don't want to replicate, but um, improving their improving their players and on, on, on their pathways? What, what are they doing well and what are they not doing so well? Sorry, was that England? England, yeah. Uh, what, what, what are you talking about? What, what type of ages? Um, through their 18s and 21s, but then how does that mesh with, mesh with the senior team? Oh, look, I think there's, you know, you look at some of the guys that have gone up, so Curry, Ezekwe, uh, Cam Redpath's trained with them, Marcus has trained with them, Gabs has trained with them. Um, yeah, lots of, you know, I, I think there's a good connection there. I think Eddie um, gets excited about the young players. Clearly, he's going to probably start to narrow down his selection a bit as, as World Cup stuff starts coming up. Um yeah, I've, I've, look, and it's and, and the challenge for those guys is they've got to go into their clubs and they've got to go and play really well in first teams. And I do think you know academies are doing a good job with that. A lot of a lot better work going on around transition. So you know Nick is he going into a first team and playing Ben Earl going into a you know there's there's some good stuff going on. I think it's um, yeah I think we're starting to get a real good crop of young players coming through and. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm fingers crossed if we get a we get our selection right for for next year that we'll be in uh, we'll be in with a good chance. And do you think England are equipped to deal with these lads going forward now? What do you mean uh, at, at age grade level? Because I, I know there has been a, a little bit of a turnover in t- turnover in personnel. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm interested to see how it goes. Really, obviously, Jim's come in and. Batesy and, and Nick's going on the tour, so there'll be lots of kind of experienced coaches there. Um, I don't know what the what what the future looks like. I'm I'm, I'm yet to know. So uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch. I do think there's some some quality young players coming through at the moment. Mm. I think at 16, 17s, 18s, uh, there's a real oversupply. I think the clubs have been doing a really really good job. Yeah, um, yeah, we're going to. Uh, I think it's exciting times. I think. Um, yeah, 2019 would be cool, and then 
you then start to look at some of the players that be available for World Cups after that. That's uh, it's an exciting group of players. Now, now I'm, just, I'm glad you mentioned clubs because I do think they get a little bit of a hard press, but particularly in the Premiership where there's quite a lot of accusation like, oh, you know, you're buying in talent or this, that, and the other. And actually, I think the, the Premiership clubs do a very good job of bedding in young players and giving them a chance. Is there anyone in the Premiership that you think is doing a particularly good job with their, with their academies? Oh, yeah. Look, I, and you can't say them all. Can't say them all. Yeah, No, you definitely uh, can't say that. Yeah, look, and, and some of it would be necessity. So, uh, however, I mean, look at the teams that are consistently at the top of the league have a lot of young players playing in their first team. So, you know, Saracens and X have got a lot of young uh, academy products playing in their first team. I like, I like what X to do with the university. I think having that's a real advantage to them. It's a good university. Mm. They've got a good program there, and they can they can take a more longitudinal view of players, and then go actually at 21, we can probably make a better decision on people. Uh, cool. So yeah, as I said Falcon's doing a good job as a sale. So guys like you know Cam Redpath and Kim Wilkinson and Tom Curtis and all those guys, to Tommy Roebuck. Uh, yeah, they got some some good people involved in that academy. Good transition coaches. It's uh, yeah, I, I genuinely think that it's that it's 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 really good. And then obviously you also got the excitement of you know, and I do think it's exciting that someone like Charles Peter is playing in the Premiership because I get excited watching him. But if you're Charlie Powell at Bristol, then you're going to learn a load off Charles Peter, and they're fortunate enough to have George Smith on a on a short term loan. Yeah. I do think um, that those type of players do help. Other players get better. Now, clearly, not if they're you know, constantly keeping a player out for a long period of time, but I do think young players can learn a hell of a lot from players like that. Yeah, completely agreed. Um, just from a personal point of view, do you ever have a player who you spend a lot of time developing and then you find it difficult to watch them go back to their club if maybe you know the structure or you know what that club is doing maybe doesn't fit their skill set or the skill set that you believe that you've developed. Yeah, yeah, of course. Look, there'll be, uh, and and that's the reality of the Premiership. So I'm not foolish enough to know that they are going to have their decision making slightly constrained because the consequences are significantly higher. So yeah, there would be players that you've you've seen when they were young and you'd go, Wow, you know, this kid can do this and then, you know, they're they're doing that less. Often with forwards. So I I think there's a real group of forwards at the moment that can pass and kick and run and some skillful guys about. And then they'll go into clubs and, you know, they'll they may be told actually you're just you're just carrying. So I always think that's a bit of a shame because I I do think that's one of the you know, that's a, one of the things we need to get right if we're going to go and win World Cups is actually better decision-makers, better deception, better awareness of amongst forwards. Yeah, do, do you know what? As soon as you mentioned that about forwards and, you know, what, what they do, two things come to mind. One, Jamie George kick, kicking the ball to win the third test in Australia, or was it second test? Oh. Uh, I can't remember, but yeah, it was. It was I'm, I'm, I, I often cite it. I mean, and, and, and both Manu and Billy... Uh, kicked in, I think it was the European semi-final as well. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, that that's that's one of the ones which is almost like the poster child for exactly what you're saying. But maybe a little bit more pertinent, 
is I talked to a couple of rugby league lads up in um, up in Manchester because that's all we have here is lots and lots of rugby league lads. Uh, and they're amazed. They're actually amazed that they can meet a union forward and they literally don't want the ball. I mean, they've got other, th- other things to do, whether it be hitting rucks or tackling or, you know, anything else but carrying the ball. That is the one thing they really don't want to do. Yeah, well, look, it's... Um, I've historically heard of players who weren't heavy enough to touch the ball. This isn't now, but 20, 15 years ago, there were players in the Premiership who were told, you're not heavy enough to touch the ball in open play, um, mm. which is weird. Um, yeah, and once again, look at how people are measured. So if you measure people on clearing rucks, you know, that type of stuff, carrying, then that's what you'll get. If you measure people on... You know, if you tell forwards we're just measuring you how many line breaks you create, then you get a you'd get a different outcome, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, I I guess so. So 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 do you think the problem is more with the reward system and what the clubs clubs are measuring rather than the attitude of the player? Uh, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to look at. I mean, Sean Williams at University of Bath did a lot of work on this, did a really good piece on um, yeah, just the impact of analysis and data on forwards and sorry on players and yeah just generally they're you know often talking about compliance and doing what you're told and trying to reach the kpis and yeah as opposed to just developing awareness making players better decision makers making them more skillful more adaptable Mm. now i'm going to um just steer this last part of the conversation a little bit more to the to the state of the state of the modern game um there's a lot of talk at the moment about concussions, lowering the tackle heights. Um, I heard, I think, Owen Slot today in the Times is talking about potentially limiting the weight of the entire pack. Sorry, the entire team. Do you have any views on all this? And where do you see the game heading up in, I don't know, five years' time? Or ten years' time? Um, well, look, there's, the game is physical. Um I didn't do weights until I was about 19 and I managed to play in the premiership and, and all that type of stuff. Oh, that would just wouldn't exist now. Um, it's, you know, there's, there's players who are 130 kilos plus uh, running pretty quickly. Uh, so you've got to be skillful at tackling. Uh, it's become at times less of an evasion sport. So I think a lot of coaches might need to think about their philosophy on the game. Um, I'd be curious as to, you know, whether there was a any kind of studies around, you know, playing philosophy and impact upon concussion. Yeah. Um, clearly, it's you know, I, I wonder whether in ten years' time, maybe the Premiership will look like it does, but lower down there'll be there'll be more variations of the game. That was something we were definitely pushing for. Actually, you could rock up with your under-12s and you could play a game of Fiji Touch and that would be normal as opposed to having to go to a club and some some guy with a big ego saying, no, we're playing an hour of full contact and I'm thinking, well, we're not because two or three of these kids aren't physically capable of tackling yet. Mm. Um, so I think lower down, I think we need to be... You, when you know, we spoke about pyramids. I think pyramids should be the other way up. We should be going, how can we engage more people in this sport? How can we engage JB in this sport? How can we engage Rusty? And I see lots of good initiatives like walking touch or cross pitch sevens. I think we need to be more creative with that lower down, keep people in the game, make them fall in love with the game. Um, yeah, and obviously 
lots of development going on in brains and stuff at a young age. We don't want to compromise that in any way. Yeah. Um, I guess we've got to trust the people at the top of the game who, who do all the research and look at the medical records and, and making good decisions around tackle height and stuff like that. Um, I, I know lots of clubs have, have adapted their training to kind of you know reduce the amount of contact and um, there wouldn't be. I mean, Stuart Lancaster spoke the other week at Bristol and said you know they would do 10, 15 minutes of contact a week and save it for the weekend, I guess. Yeah, I mean, um, um, I was with Steve Diamond a few weeks ago and he claims he does no no contact at all during the week because his squad just isn't big enough. It's not a worthwhile, um, you know, um, a, a worthwhile use of his time. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me, if I'm honest. Mm. Um, now, this is probably one of the reasons that uh, I find myself being so unpopular. But you, um, you mentioned getting people into the game, keeping them and engaging people in, 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 in the game. And I, I get it, right? I get it for kids. We need to get as many kids in the game as possible because they might like it and they might turn in to, into, good, into good rugby players. Do you not think that the attitude of getting people engaged in, into the game and the exclusivity type thing for adults, just it almost takes away something from rugby. The whole point of rugby is it's hard and it, and it is quite scary. So yeah, sure, make it easier for the kids. But when it gets to senior level... You know, it should it should be as it is. Uh, what do you mean? In which in which context are you talking about? Well, I mean, where, like, what level? Well, I mean, the argument that that I hear, and when I say what what level, I mean you know, open age men um, men's rugby, whether that be level level two or level or level twelve or however however low however low it goes. And the yeah. argument that I continually hear is. Um, you know, you're putting people off because there's too much contact. You know, too much of a toll on a toll on a toll on the body. Something has to change. And my view on it, and this is probably where uh, where I differ from from some others, is good. It shouldn't be for everyone, which is why it makes it special. So, by all means, make it easier for kids. But once it gets to, you know, the open age, you know, you need that element of risk or in danger because that's exactly what makes the game special. I would love, we would love to be spending a day with you, JB. You'd be like cross roads with your eyes closed. <laughs> oh, look, I, um, what do I think? I, I think it's about. Um, I, I do genuinely think, uh, of course. Look, if you're at level two people playing in the championship, they are aware that that it's a physical game, and, and that's the you know that's why people love the game. Yeah, clearly, the you know for someone like me who can't physically play the game anymore, then. I would play touch and there would be opportunities available for me. So, yeah, I, I think we do a reasonable job of it. I still think we could do it better, but actually, yeah, just give people opportunities. And for some people, it will be the top end where it's physical and it's competitive and there's leagues and people win stuff. Well, that's that's the nature of sport and that's why we love it. Mm. Um, I, I like the idea that at a rugby club, it's kind of a community. And so, you know, there's that option, but there's lots of other options available for people so that we can connect up the community. I mean, that would be the, the ultimate question is, well, what's the purpose of the rugby club? And um, being involved in some interesting debates on that, would uh, tell you who's doing some good stuff. Chris Jones at Sidcup okay. and Russell Bolton at Maidenhead. So I've been in, done a session at Maidenhead and there's three teams all afterwards, you know, having uh, together in the clubhouse and just that whole sense of community, which I love. Uh, same, I did a session down at Sync Up with Jonesy and just exactly the same. And these guys are talking about, you know, how 
can we engage more people in our community? How can we bring more people into our tribe? How can we make it a place where the wider friends want to come? Yeah. I mean, uh, and, uh, yeah, that's just how I see it. And I get on board with, with all yeah, of that. But the clearly, act- yeah, and clearly, you know, clearly their first team are playing in leagues where they want to win games. Yeah. And it's physical. And that's the last sport. Yeah, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I get all the bits about the family and, you know, nothing, nothing attracts me more to the rugby club than the old boys that that no longer play. Because I think, in a way, that sort of that sort of epitomises it. You've uh, 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 They've played, they still love the, love the game, and for whatever reason it is, they want to come down every Saturday to watch us bunch <laughs> of idiots still play. That Now, that, for me, is is the rugby club. Uh, yeah, so and that's cool. why I like I like to keep it not exclusive. Everyone's welcome, but this is what we do here. So uh, I, and and that's I, I I guess that 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 is why I find myself in these uh, in, in these rather t- uh, tetchy twi- uh, Twitter arguments every now and again. <laughs> um, now one la- one last question be- be- before you go. Uh, we've spoke widely about coaching. Um, which coaches for you are you still drawing? inspiration off and who do you think is doing a particularly good job well good question yeah look um, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't go and observe or spend time with the coach who I didn't think I was going to go and learn off them I'm generally it's pretty hard not to learn off off lots of people um, where well, let me go other sports first I think hockey are doing some cool stuff uh, Sarah Callagher in the pathway uh, Danny Kerry obviously at the top end um, in football, I've seen some cool stuff going on at uh, places that I've been to, Fulham, uh, Birmingham City Academies. I think they've do, got some pretty special people in those places as well. That's interesting. Um, That's interesting. In rugby, um, I like the work that Aidan McNulty's been doing at Newcastle as an academy development officer. Mm-hmm. He's been doing a lot of coach development and impacting on the on the region in a really positive way. Um, yeah, lots of good examples. You know, in my local town, Bristol, Sean Marsden and Mark Irish are pushing up into, into you know, having more impact in first-team stuff. Warren Abrahams at Quinns, who's doing the England Sevens Academy as well. Uh, just lots of, yeah. There's, I think there's some really, really good stuff going on. Going, I've mentioned a couple of club coaches, but in the schools as well, Brett Richmond, John Bren, uh, Nick Boy of Brighton College, Anastasia at Trinity. I mean... I'll feel bad because I've missed out loads of people, but I just think there's some really, really good stuff going on lower down in the development uh, world. And what do you think is next? And what do you think is next for you, Russell? Uh, yeah, well, look, we're gonna uh, myself and John Fletcher, uh, we're gonna extend out Magic Academy. So I set up a sharing site for coaches uh, a year or so ago. It's got about two and a half thousand coaches around the world wow. on now. Uh, multiple sports we're going to branch out we've got a few ideas around that doing a bit of uh, continue to do a bit of stuff in rugby going to do a bit of stuff in football uh, going to do a bit of stuff in hockey um, going to generally be quite busy uh, helping some people with conferences and uh, doing a bit of stuff around leadership in in schools and clubs yeah generally just kind of yeah keeping busy excellent well Russell if you ever find yourself around the Manchester area um Please feel free to come down to uh, to to Didsb- to, to Didsbury Talk H, and I'll be more than happy to show you how coaching's done. <laughs> That'd be cool, and we should bring Luffers because that's <laughs> a shout out. You can definitely take us for Nando's. Exactly. Um, where can we find you on social media? 
Uh, I'm on Twitter, so I don't know. What, I'm assuming I'm Russell Earnshaw. Um, I'm not sure if I'm honest. And then yeah, we're just we're just about to. Um, if you want to drop me, if anyone's interested in the Magic Academy, just drop me an email, Russell Earnshaw at uh, hotmail.com and I'll invite you to it and you can come and join this community of two and a half thousand coaches it's pretty uh, yeah, it's pretty remarkable stuff I'm definitely learning a lot of stuff off there as well it certainly sounds it Russell thank you so much for joining me being an absolute tremendous guest Re- really appreciate it cool. yeah Tom man I'll catch you soon cheers Russell planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands plus Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365 day returns when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.